Good morning again. We will turn in our Bibles a little bit later today. It'll take a while to, to get to the reading that we have intended here in Acts. But I'd like to start this morning, I'd like to start a new series this morning on an old idea, a very old idea, and the, the, the word for the old idea is consecration. I'd like to spend a few weeks talking about what it means, what consecrating something means, uh, and how it may be relevant to us today. And there's a few reasons why I'm choosing to talk about this now. The first is uh, January of any year is typically the most self-reflective time for people. I'm not saying that's true about you. You might not care. But this is when many people make New Year's resolutions, think about the year, reflect on last year, look forward to this year. And consecrating, consecration is an idea of purposing something for the Lord. So when someone is going to do something... Uh, In the Bible, consecration was something that would take place when they would do that thing for God. And I thought it would be a good, something worth adding into our lives at this time of year. That was the first reason. And the second reason is, is because both of the campuses of our church, Wilmington and Hokesson, are on the threshold of doing something for the kingdom of God that's pretty significant. In Hokesson, we're going to build here and add on, and that's going to change us. We should assume that's going to change us, right? It's significant. It's strategic. And when you're going to step out into something that you know is going to change you, it, it's a moment when the word consecration should come to mind. In the same way, in Wilmington, uh, 8 West 3rd Street, the space behind Loma there, we're going to be fitting that out and making that ours and growing into that and trying to spread, grow the kingdom of God in that area and in our community there. And that's going to change us as well. We should expect that. It's going to form and forge our identity. There are things we do in life that don't matter that much. You know, you wake up in the morning and you are trying to decide, do you drink Caffeinated coffee or decaffeinated coffee? Well, that choice doesn't matter. Your life's not really going to be different because of it. But there are those choices we make in life all along the way that there's no going back from. You know, you grow up and do you go to college? Do you not go to college? What do you become? Do you marry that person? Do you get up and do you move to a new place? These are the sorts of things, the ones that mark the chapters of our lives. And those are the sorts of things that in the Word, we find great opportunity of placing them before the Lord, of purposing, not just heading into these things with our intellect and our reason in the best sense of what the pluses and the minuses, but rather heading into them saying, Lord, may, may this be purposed for you. And so, hence, we're going to talk about consecration. It's an old word. It sounds a little stuffy to me. It sounds uh, <clears throat> higher than my own existence. A little bit more formal. And it's a word that is built 
out of certain Hebrew words in the Old Testament. So consecrate, when you read the word consecrate in your Bible, um, behind it is one of several words, which in other places is translated in maybe a different way. So the first word that might mean consecrate is a word that would mean devoted. If something is devoted to the Lord, it's consecrated to the Lord. So there's times in throughout uh, the Old Testament in particular where the Lord would say, hey, when you do that, that's devoted to me. The Levites are devoted to me. They're consecrated to me. That's the thought. Another word you would find would be the phrase to set apart. To set something apart for the Lord, you're probably most used to hearing this word, holy. Holy is the one we most commonly use for set apart. If something's set apart, it's holy to the Lord. But that same word can mean consecrated. It's the same concept. To be set apart for God is to be consecrated to God. I'll give you an example here. This is from Leviticus chapter 11. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. The same root Hebrew word is in consecrate and holy. So it's kadesh. Some version of the Hebrew word kadesh is consecrate. So, and holy, and holy. They're all the same root word. It's just the translators are saying the act of making yourself holy, we're going to call that consecrate. The being holy, we're going to call holy. But you could also say, set apart yourselves, therefore, for the Lord, and be set apart, for I am set apart. That idea is what's present. A third word that lives in consecrated is the notion of separation, to separate something out for the Lord. So some of you may know in the Old Testament, there was this this, uh, vow you could take. It was called a Nazarite vow. And if you were a Hebrew and you wanted to set yourself, separate yourself out for the Lord for a particular time, you might take a Nazarite vow. Samson was born as a Nazarite. He had to grow his hair out. He couldn't drink wine. He wasn't allowed to hang out with dead things. That made, those were, he was separated from those things. He was a Nazarite. The word separate in Hebrew is Nazar. So all, a Nazarite is a separated one, is what it is. That is in consecration. And then the last idea that rolls up in consecration is the idea of ordaining something. If When the priest is ordained, he's purposed for God. And that shows up in the concept of of consecration. You can see how they're all connected. To be set apart and devoted to and separated from, separated for God and ordained to, they're all, can you feel that concept? That concept is consecration. You sang about it this morning, actually, there was a song we sang. It began, your love is devoted like a ring of solid gold. That, that has, is not a wedding ceremony, a consecration ceremony. It's devoted like a covenant of old. Right? It's a vow. It, it, those ideas are present just as you very much would see in a, in a modern wedding ceremony of one person saying, I'm setting myself apart for this person. I'm, setting my, I'm separating myself for this person. I'm devoting myself for this person. I'm purposing myself for this person. And I'm doing all of this 
beneath the Lord because it's an important thing that's going to change my life for better or for worse. My life will never be different, never be the same when I get married. And I'm doing this in front of the Lord. It's a big consecration ceremony. Our church is on the threshold of this, whether we're in Wilmington or here in Hokesson, the notion that we're about to do something that's significant. We're going to be different. And if our identity is going to grow in a new way, place it before God. The three weeks we're going to talk about this subject, uh, today I am going to be uh, as high on the subject as I can be, which sometimes may feel not so practical. But you have to get the high things right or things go wrong down in the earthy sense. So we're going to talk about consecration at the highest level this Sunday, try to get that right so that when we come back in the next several weeks, sort of at our stage and in, in, in way, we can deal with it very, very well, very practically. So that said, I want us to think about consecration from a New Testament perspective because there's a problem that happens. And that is the word drops off when you get to the New Testament. So I have the ESV Bible here. Each translation is a little bit different, but in the Old Testament, in this Bible, the word consecrate or consecrated shows up about 120 times. In the New Testament, in this Bible, it shows up three times. Now, if it was like 60 to 50, it would be not a big deal, but it's 120 to three. And that's a little bit remarkable, especially since the themes of consecration are very much present. The New Testament's rife with phrases like set yourselves apart, cleanse yourselves, be holy. It's it's full of these notions of sanctifying ourselves for the Lord, of coming out, being a chosen people, answering a call, leaving and following. All of those things are in consecrate and they're in the New Testament, but somehow the word is not. And I think I, I think I, I want to show us show us why. I want us to think about if if we can think about the whole Bible and compare the Old Testament to the New Testament, which is not it's not two different religions. It's the Hebrew faith before Christ to the Hebrew faith in light of Christ. And what I want us to notice this morning, what we'll take some time looking at, is the drastic very significant difference between ceremony. How unceremonial the New Testament is, New Testament Judaism is from Old Testament Judaism. I'll show you a few examples here. This is Exodus 19 coming up. This is a momentous time for Israel. They're at the foot of the mountain of God. They're about to enter into a covenant with God. The Ten Commandments is the very next chapter, okay? Exodus 20 is the Ten Commandments. They are about to hear God speak the Ten Commandments. And so when you're in this place, okay, you're in this place, it's a consecration moment. You're about, your life will never be the same. You're about to step out in a new direction and you're doing it before the Lord, Okay, it's a consecration moment. That's what we see here is the Lord says to him, go to the people and consecrate them. And it's going to take a couple of days, actually. Consecrate them for two days, 
I'll be back on the third day. And I figured you weren't going to read it all, so I just, I picked the interesting lines in blue. Maybe you'll read half. But the blue lines show sort of the consecrating elements. Have them wash. Consecration regularly involves washing. Set limits for the people. He says, I don't want anybody to come on the mountain. They gather around the foot of the mountain, but mark the mountain off and don't have them come on the mountain. And he goes so far as to say, if they come on the mountain, they die. You have to kill them. But you can't actually go on the mountain to kill them because then you're in trouble also. So you have to throw a rock at them or you have to shoot them with a bow. But they have to die. In other words, this is a, this is a fairly ceremonial. I know we don't think of those prohibitions as being ceremonial, but this is a fairly structured consecration moment. Very structured. In which you ha- they, Israel has to get this right if things are going to go right. Now think about that in comparison to the New Testament. Have we ever gathered around a mountain? Mount, Mount Cuba next Sunday. If it's warm enough, should we go gather there? foot of Mount Cuba? I mean, what was, what's our great consecration ceremony? We have a new covenant, do we not? We have a newer, better, greater covenant than this covenant. We have a fuller covenant than this covenant. What's the ceremony? Here's another example. Exodus 28 is a chapter on the robes of the priest. <clears throat> I know you've read this many times, but I put it up here for you again. The robes of the priest, the clothes the priestess is going to wear. What are they supposed to look like? Well, it matters to the Lord. In fact, you have to get it just right or the priest is going to die. This is, I want you to feel the level of ceremony. In it, and but this is just a few of the verses, but I pulled out again the sort of consecrating phrases of it. Holy garments that will make Aaron's garments consecrate. They will consecrate him for the priesthood, God says. The clothes he's going to wear will set him apart, separate him out, ordain him and purpose him, devote him to the Lord's service. And you have to get it just right. There's a line in this chapter that says, he's got bells that are going to have to be on the robe. The bells need to be there. So that he doesn't die, is what God says. Not only is it ceremonial, it needs to be done right. Think of the New Testament. I'm not even a priest. But if I am the closest approximation of the priest, my outfit, like, I did not wake up this morning choosing this outfit so that I don't die before the Lord. I'm not even sure it matches. <laughs> what I wear, I dress so as not to offend. I don't want to offend somebody who wishes I had a tie, so I wear an Oxford, and I don't want to offend the hipster, so I don't wear a tie, but I wear something <laughs> nice. I, you know what I mean? I, I, uh, this innocuous is what I'm going for here. But there's, it's not ceremonial. I mean, I wake up, I don't turn lights on, I reach up and hope I grab the shirt my wife set out for me. That's my ceremony. 
I put my shoes on when I get downstairs so I don't make noise. That's the ceremony for my dressing. And I, and I am, I'm a, I'm a, I'm not even a priest. I mean, when you compare, it's the same faith. This is what I want you to appreciate. It is the same faith that before Jesus Christ was robed and adorned with ephods and breastplates and the right stones in the right place and, and the priesthood and all of this sort of thing. It was all there and it was all right. And in the same faith after Christ, no teaching, no teaching on the dress and attire for the priesthood. Not one, let me say it this way, no teaching on the priesthood unless we're talking about all of us. Here's another one. This, is, this passage here is the ordination of the priesthood. The very next chapter, Exodus 29. Whole chapter. I just pulled out the first several verses, first nine or so verses. I want you to see there, consecrate, something. you choose a ram without blemish, you wash. I want you to hear these themes. We're going to come back to these themes. Washing, set apart, anointing, consecrating. You hear them? Just building this idea of the work of purifying as we purpose for God. For the ordination. This, by the way, this passage here, which is, is pretty detailed, is part of a chapter. I want to show you. Here's a picture of the chapter. We're not going to read it all. This is the 29th chapter of Exodus. And what I showed you is about the first five lines. All of that is the process of properly ordaining Aaron and his sons, in which they need to get it just right lest he dies. In fact, Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, a few days later, or weeks later, or not long after this, are doing the procedural ceremony of the tabernacle inappropriately, and God consumes them with fire. Told you. The ceremony matters. They must get it right. Same faith after Christ. Where is this? How do we ordain? I'll show you how we ordain. This is a, this is a great, this is Acts chapter 13. Okay, the first two or three lines is just names. I'm going to pick up at the word while. It's like in the middle of the reading. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and sent them off. That's the ceremony. (laughs) I mean, this is not an insignificant moment, by the way. This is the commencement of the great missionary journeys of Paul from which the letters of Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, 1st and 2nd Timothy spawn out of this. All of those letters spawn out of this. What we would call Turkey is evangelized through this. Then Macedonia is evangelized through this. Then Greece is evangelized through this. Ultimately, ultimately Paul finds himself in Rome, and we think he made it to Spain through this. This Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ with the authority over the church to write and instruct. That was his commissioning service. A circle of 
friends in the faith praying and fasting before the Lord where the Holy Spirit speaks and says, so you need to sit and bend. They lay hands on, they fast and pray, and he goes. Do you feel the disparity between the ceremony? High ceremony in the Hebrew faith before Jesus. Then Jesus comes, and it is almost the absence of ceremony. We see traces of ceremony. We still see the concepts of consecration. They're still there. If you saw the reading, they lay their hands on him, they, they fast and they pray, and they send him off. So the work, the heart of consecration still taking place, devoid of all of the ceremony. Think of Passover for a second. Chapters, and I'm, enough slides, right? Chapters and chapters in the Old Testament about how to properly observe Passover. What to eat, where to eat, how to dress when you're eating it, what day to eat it on, what's the proper dates, when to start, when to stop, the Sabbaths on either side, the, the nature of the room, how it ought to be cleaned, with the ingredients in the meal, all of these sorts of things. The consequences if the wrong person's in the meal or if someone misses the meal or if you touch the wrong thing on the day of the meal, all of those things are present in the description of the ceremony of Passover to properly observe it in order to please the Lord. And Jesus Christ himself properly observes Passover as a good Jew all the way up. And then he dies, he's resurrected, and out of Passover is born the Lord's Supper. And you know how much teaching we have about that? (laughs) Almost nothing. We know they did it. We know they regularly did it. Plus like two or three other data points. I mean, in the church, sometimes we quibble, and I don't mean it in a bad way. Sometimes we discuss, you know, should we do wine or grape juice? Or can we do, do we have to do crackers? Could we do bread? Should we drink from a big goblet, a chalice? Should we do it about a big wooden table? Should we do it as a meal? Should we not do it as a meal? All of those discussions... Okay, those ceremonial discussions which have their own place and space in a church, right? As long as they don't really matter that much. All of that, all of that good conversation can blind us to the fact that the real shocker is that we have almost no instruction about the Passover meal. Jesus Christ fulfilled the Passover meal and what pops out on the back end is an unceremonial thing of which we have almost no details. Do it. Just do it. In remembrance of me. That's what we're told. When you do it, know why you do it. Not how to do it. Why you do it. There's a dearth of ceremony in the New Testament. All of these consecrating moments, the Sabbath, the temple, Passover, priesthood, dress, diet, sacrifice, all of these things are whittled away to almost no ceremony whatsoever. Now, my goal in observing, in observing the move from Old Testament carefulness in consecration is not to move to abject carelessness 
It's to gain an appreciation for why is this happening? If we're going to talk about consecration, I think we really need to understand that. Otherwise, we risk becoming either ceremonial in a way that is, has discontinuity with our life in Christ or not able to understand why would we, we would ever do anything like consecration because of Christ. And I think Acts 10 helps us with this. So this, I think this is a good time to turn to Acts chapter 10. So if you would do that. Much of Acts 10 has already been read to you. It's about Cornelius. Cornelius was a Gentile, meaning he was unclean, un, he was not consecrated to the Lord according to the Jewish rites of consecration. He was unclean. He was uncircumcised. Uh, he was not a Jew. And yet his heart was after God. And that's what the text, clear, the scriptures clearly say, that his heart was after the Lord. He and his household, by the way, were zealous for the Lord in their heart. And they, their lives were known by the fruit. They had good fruit in their lives. They gave to the poor and did good things. And, and so the Lord comes to him in a vision. It comes to him through an angel and says, God's seen your goodness. God's seen how you fear him. So stand by. You're going to be visited by a really special person. Go and send for Peter. Okay, and so he does. Meanwhile, in Joppa, Peter has this trance. And then in this vision, he sees this blanket. I'm just repeating what we've read, but he sees this blanket with all these sorts of animals on it, okay? Animals that he's not supposed to eat. In fact, in, in the Torah, the passage of Scripture that talks about what you not eating all those squirmy things is Leviticus 11. In the middle of it was that passage you saw, consecrate yourselves and be holy as I am holy. That is smack dab in the middle of the instruction against eating things that squirm. Don't eat things that have lots of legs. And don't eat four-legged things that squirm like lizards. Don't do it. So in his trance, when the Lord is saying, eat these things, I mean, his objection is coming right out of the midst of the chapter that says, consecrate yourself, be holy as I'm holy. Lord, I've never done this. My whole life, I've been separated for you, set apart for you, devoted to you, purposed for you. Why would I eat these things? To which God says, do not call unclean that which I have made clean. He wakes up. Bing, boom. Here's the doorbell. Off to Cornelius. Now, I'm going to pick up in the 34th verse. And really, 34 through 42, it doesn't pertain so much to the subject of consecration, but it is the good news of Jesus Christ. And I just want to start the, the year off. I want you to hear a sermon of Peter on the hope we have in Jesus. And then, we'll, so this is a brief but important aside, okay? He gets to Cornelius' house Cornelius opens the door, and Peter starts to talk. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that has been sent to Israel, preaching, 
excuse me, as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching the good news of the peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us, who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the anointed the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Just so you know, especially if you're not in Christ, that's what Jesus offers us. Peter knocks on the door, the door opens up. I'm going to tell you what Jesus did. But here's what, we'll come back now, come back from our side This is what happens, 44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised, that's the Jews, who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speak in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. You just, this is a moment where you see the ceremony crash down. They're not circumcised. They've not been ritually inducted into the Jewish faith. None of that has happened for them. And through a trance, through a vision that Peter sees, the Lord says to him, all the things, all the high consecrating ceremony that Peter's come to trust in as what, like, I've got it right, Lord. That's what means I'm right with you. How can I do this? I'm trying to be right with you. All of that ceremony, that consecrating ceremony that has been part of Peter's life, the Lord tears down. to let Cornelius in, to let you in and me in. Do not call unclean what he has made clean. And I would say this. I think if we're to understand consecration with, with the mind of Christ and with the life of Christ in mind, we should see all the ceremony of the Old Testament, all the ritual, all of those things are prefiguring and building up for the expectation of Jesus, and he and he alone is the one who satisfied it. He has fully satisfied. He's pure. He's washed. He's cleansed. He's offered. He's the only one who's truly set apart. You, God tells us to be holy, not like God is holy. We're never going to be holy like he's holy. We're told to be holy as he's holy. Because he's holy, we're told to be holy. But only Jesus Christ was actually holy like God was holy. Only he was truly set apart and devoted. 
And he, he is our ceremony. When, when we look to the mountain, it's Mount Calvary, right? Hebrews says, he didn't come to that mountain, he came to the mountain of Jesus. It's a new ceremony and a new hope. He's all of that consecrating ceremony. So that inside of Christ, we have this unceremonial comfort of making sure we, uh, we remember the reasons. It's not as though there's no... There's no consecration in Christ. In fact, right here, Cornelius gets baptized. That's a consecrating ceremony. It's washing, it's devoting, it's setting apart. When you get baptized, what you're saying is, is I'm setting my life apart for God. My life is now purposed for his will. That's what it is. It's a consecration ceremony. But we don't have to worry about getting the ceremony just right. He died on the cross and raised from the tomb just right. And now, with just pure comfort, you can get almost everything mostly wrong because you are holy in Christ. You are set apart in the Lord. You are separated for him and devoted for him. Those things have already been done for you. And as we try to get practical, right, in the next coming weeks, as we're going to talk practically about consecration, what I want to protect us from is feeling like, oh, I want to consecrate this moment. I need to get this just right. You don't. You don't got to figure what's the right special words or what's the right setting or do I have to light candles or you don't have to worry about the ceremony. You have to set yourself apart for God. That's what he longs for. All of the consecration has finally been refined to the pure meaning, which is in view of the mercy of God. Give yourself as a living sacrifice to him, holy and pleasing. That is worship. That is what worship is. I'm going to pray. And as I pray, I'm going to first start. I'm going to pray for those who are consecrated in Christ already, those who are in Christ, that we would not lose sight of why, that we would not be a people that quibbles over how big is my Lord's Supper cracker? Or did I say the prayer just right? Or was I a little late on that? We let that go. And just in the comfort of Jesus Christ, Remember, he wants us to be devoted to him. When we come across things in life, set them apart for him. That would be in our hearts. And then I'm gonna end the prayer with, for those who are watching or on the the fringe of the faith, just say that we have no Herculean tasks that you need to do to get in. God has come to you and has done everything so that you can reach out to him in faith. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you recognizing that your son, that Jesus himself bore on his shoulders the burden of perfection. He did everything well and good and just right. And Father, why we, we seek to live like him, Lord, we're not competing. We know that 
the benchmark is not perfection, but is faithfulness that we continue long after him, long after you, Lord. And I pray that. That's my prayer this morning for our fellowship, that those of us in Christ would pursue you in the comfort of Christ, at peace with what he's done, already made holy. And I pray, Lord, this would be a great banner of welcome, a great banner of invitation to the whole world, those outside of you who would see people who are at, at peace with you, growing in you, Lord, and that they would be invited in the very same way. We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.